Rosa. Golden boy, that's what we called him. Not to his face, but not in a mean way either. He was my boss at the biotech startup that was developing the drug he invented. Golden boy was brilliant, effortlessly so, it seemed, and already a star of the medical research world when he died at the ridiculously young age of 33. He was universally acknowledged as an all-round good guy too, although of course the truth was more complicated. His name was Jung, but I only learned that at his funeral. While he was alive, I never heard a soul call him by that name, a name chosen by someone who loved him. I hadn't expected to cry at his funeral, but that realisation undid me. Golden boy, Jung. I still think of him every day, even now, ten years after he died, because he's the reason I'm where I am today, and because what I did killed him. Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast, sponsored by Pantera Press. Good Reading is a monthly magazine dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. Hi and welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Angus Dalton here with you. You just heard Susan Hurley reading from her new book, Eight Lives. It's a medical thriller that surrounds the death of David Tran, a former Vietnamese refugee who made a life for himself in Australia and, just before his death, invented a wonder drug that could revolutionise immunology. Susan is an award-winning writer and has master's degrees in pharmacy and biostatistics as well as a PhD in epidemiology and health economics. She's here with me now to chat about her novel. Hi, Susan. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Angus. It's lovely to be here. So with your qualification, should I be calling you doctor or professor or what's the right level of qualification here? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you could call me doctor or professor, but Susan will do too. Okay, fantastic. (laughs) Thank you, Susan. Um, So we get a lot of writers who are published in literary journals like Kill Your Darlings, Mm -hmm. which you've appeared in too, but you're maybe the first I've spoken to who has also been published in medical journals. There's one article you mentioned on your website that was published in the journal Lancet. Mm -hmm. What was the significance of that article? That was an article looking at the effectiveness of needle exchange programs to prevent the spread of HIV. And we did an ecological analysis looking at the uh, change in what's called seroprevalence of HIV in cities around the world. So that's basically the percentage of people in the population who are HIV positive uh, and correlating that with the introduction and uh, presence of needle exchange programs in the in those cities. So it found that, surprise, surprise, having a needle exchange program decreased the spread of HIV. And that was apparently quite influential in enabling uh, people in the area to lobby for the ongoing fund- funding of needle exchange programs, or in some instances, to lobby for their introduction. You've had like a quite a long career, like you know, three decades, right, in this industry of medical research. Yes. Um, how did you first get involved in it? Was it something you always wanted to do? Mm, not really, but I was working in a hospital as a hospital pharmacist, and I saw that uh, people who 
were getting a particular drug for acute asthma were all getting the same dose, whereas pharmacology suggested they should get a, an individualised dose, uh, you know, something worked out for them because people metabolise that drug in different ways. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> so I did some studies to look at what was the best way of dosing them. And I basically got hooked on research from that. I went wow. on to do my master's degree and then realised that to have a presence in research, I needed a PhD. So that's what I did. Yeah, fantastic. Um, what's it like to be in this sort of research area? Like, is it a realm where it's really exciting and there's life-saving discoveries every day or is that sort of like a naive assumption? Like, what's the actual reality of this space? The reality is it's a lot of hard work <laughs> with the occasional uh, moment of inspiration or uh, when you finally get to the end of a study and the answer comes up and it's what you expected uh, and then you get the notification from the journal, a journal like The Lancet saying they're going to publish your work. So a lot of hard slog and moments of joy. What's more exciting, getting a medical research journal published or a more literary one? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say uh, today, which is publication day for Eight Lives, is the most exciting um, publication day that I've had. Okay, fantastic. So far. Excellent. Well, <laughs> take that, medicine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you said that your main area of expertise is the cost-effectiveness of drugs. Yes. What drugs have you examined in that area? What does that mean? It can mean all sorts of things, but uh, one aspect of my work has been getting drugs on the pharmaceutical benefits scheme, so subsidised by the government so that um, people get them cheaply. Uh, and I've done that for a whole range of things, including nicotine patches to help people quit smoking, uh, including a drug for multiple sclerosis, um, all sorts of things. Yeah. How does the government decide which ones to subsidise and which ones not to? They have a whole process involving committees that look at uh, submissions that either companies or, in very rare cases, not-for-profit organisations put in. So it's basically like writing a master's thesis uh, according to a, a protocol uh, where you argue the case backed up by lots of data and special analyses that look at how your drug stacks up in terms of both immediate costs and savings uh, downstream in terms of um, long-term side effects avoided compared to the uh, current therapy. So you look at the costs and the effectiveness and you know, there's various statistical methods to whiz that up into a number. How important is it for some of these drugs that they do get subsidised? Like how expensive are some of these drugs? Some of them can, can cost uh, in the thousands of dollars a month for wow. patients otherwise. Uh, but it's something like nicotine replacement therapy... That, that was, I think, costing something like 50 or 60 or maybe even 70 or $80 a month before it was subsidised on the PBS. That's still an important saving for many people. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so how did writing emerge as another discipline you wanted to engage in? Have you always written creatively or is it a relatively new discovery for you? Or It's something that I've always wanted to do. I've always been a reader and I wanted to make the move to become a writer, but it's an ambition that 
for practical reasons I had to shell for many years. Um, but uh, at some point I decided that I needed to take a shot at it. And the idea for this novel came after I read about a drug trial that ended in tragedy, a real drug trial in London in 2006, where the six men who volunteered all suffered uh, a life-threatening reaction and almost died. And obviously that was very sad, but um, it, it struck me that it could be the starting point for a novel because, as we talked about before, a lot of research work is mundane, routine. This is uh, where, where it gets real. Yeah, what, what drug were they actually trialling in that trial that went so badly? Mm. It was a, a monoclonal antibody um, called TGN1412. So it was a new sort of, that was a newish class of drugs then. Uh, They've been very successful. They had been very successful and they continue to be very successful. This one worked in an unusual way. Um, It worked on the immune system and the the effect, well, when you try a drug on humans for the first time, you never know how it's going to turn out. That's why it's a test. It's an experiment. But in this case, it turned out that the, the, the effect was foreseeable. Um, scientists subsequently identified that and, in fact, the company had um, warned about it in their own documentation. So, again, that, was a, that made the story a potentially useful starting point for a novel to take people into that world to look at the sort of challenges, the human side behind how something like that might happen. Yeah. Uh, the egos, the, um, the commercial s- stakes. That was one of my questions, whether, you know, because people, I guess, would just assume that the realms of pharmacology and medical research is one just broadly beneficial for society. But I guess there's a dark side as well. Well, I think the point is that for every gain, there's pain. So nothing comes without risk and downside. So the sort of message, if there is a message, is uh, we should be very appreciative of people who volunteer for these sorts of trials and take risks. Yeah, absolutely. Because there has to be risk. Um, So, yeah, just before uh, your character David's death, um, I guess in some ways he's a, he's a central character, even though he's not alive for the entirety of the book. Um, but he invents a wonder drug, and that's one of the monoclonal antibody. Am I saying that right? You are. Yeah. Um, so I was going to ask if that's a if that's a real drug and if it's actually used. And um, hearing you talk about the trial, it sounds like it is a real thing. Monoclonal antibodies are real things. Uh, the drug in the book is fictional, but it broadly has the same sort of effects as the drug in the London trial. The rest of the story is completely made up, but the science is real. Yeah. So what would make a monoclonal antibody a wonder drug? Well, what made the drug in London potentially a wonder drug was its ability in animals to stimulate the production of a particular sort of white cell, particular T cell they're called, uh, that acts as a modulator for the immune system. So it, it's kind of the, um, 
the good policeman of the immune system and it was thought that it would therefore have potential to be used in a wide range of um, uh, autoimmune diseases. Wow, mm. yeah. So immunologists were pretty excited about it, is my understanding. So there was that trial, but did you bring any other knowledge or experiences from your career in medicine and biotechnology to the writing desk when you were writing Eight Lives? I brought uh, my observations of people. Uh, I brought my ability to read papers and eventually get the gist of new areas. Um, I talked to a lot of immunologists. Immunology isn't my field, but uh, I identified some immunologists who were willing to talk to me about my interpretations of the published papers and to look at various pieces that I wrote to make sure that um, I was simplifying and dramatising the science in a way that didn't make it inauthentic because that was my goal, not to write a textbook, um, you know, uh, non-fiction book, to write something that was really about the people and the plot uh, but was based on a little bit of science so people hopefully feel something for the characters, get involved in the mystery of David Tran's death but also learn, are taken to a world where then a, a new world for them because, you know, it's, it's a world that not many people know but affects everybody, the development of drugs. Um, you mentioned the mystery there and the way it unfolds in the book is really interesting. Um, I think most readers would be familiar with the device of, you know, starting a new book and you have different chapters narrated by different characters, maybe two or three and you spot between each one. But um, in Eight Lives, you meet Lee or Natalie, who's David's sister who owns the nail salon. Mm -hmm. Then you meet Rosa, a young woman from a regional area trying to make her make a name for herself in the world of you know medical research. Then there's Miles, David's childhood friend. Foxy, a kind of fixer who's involved with David's business partner. And on it goes and you meet lots of different people mm -hmm. who are all connected to, uh, to David and connected to his death. Um, why did you decide to write the book from so many different perspectives? Because I wanted readers to end up understanding what happened from the perspectives, from, from a range of perspectives. So, as you said, there are people from David's work life, from his friendship group, from his family. And I think in life we really know the full story about anything. Certainly in the case of the London drug trial that I mentioned – uh, there were many investigations. There was a government inquiry. There were scientists wrote many papers about it. But at the end of the day, you never ended up understanding really what was going on in the heads of the people involved. Um, and I wanted to give readers that gift. That was the way of doing it, having a multi-narrator uh, structure. I imagine that would be really fun as a writer because every sort of character that you meet is so distinct and so interesting in their own right and you get to sort of build up their little world and then sort of jump to the next one and jump back to them. So that just struck me reading through and meeting all these new characters, like you you flesh them out so quickly. Um, was that a challenge or did you have fun doing it? Both. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it is a challenge. It's um, a challenge to make sure that they're distinctive, uh, so that they're different, but that you also keep the story going. But it was certainly was fun. Yeah. Mm. 
And with David's character, or Jung is his Vietnamese name, yes. why did you decide to make that character a former refugee? Many of these decisions were intuitive. So as we've talked about, it, my work has been very um, structured mm. and the right opportunity to write a novel uh, gave me the chance to just be a bit more loose and free in my writing. So some of these decisions I, I can't really explain. But that said, I think what I was probably getting at was that uh, I wanted somebody who'd overcome obstacles to get where they were. So he's uh, got to a very um, elevated place in the medical hierarchy, uh, but he's come from the place of a refugee. And you know, I can still remember the time of the Vietnam War. Uh, it was a shocking uh, tragedy, the way people tried to escape by boat. Um, I think one and a half million people did that, tried to escape Vietnam by boat and hundreds of thousands perished. It just seemed like that would be something that would be a big challenge to overcome. And, of course, that issue is with us uh, with different metrics but the same principle today. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. You mentioned before that you were inspired to start writing because you're a big reader. Yes. Were there any books or writers in particular that you were inspired by? <clears throat> there are just so many. Uh, in terms of this structure, Jodie Pico's My Sister's Keeper mm. was um, one inspiration. In terms of the theme of the book, uh, John le Carre's The Constant Gardener. It's about a drug trial in Africa mm. that, that goes well, goes wrong in a completely different way and how that affects uh, the husband of a woman who was involved in, in that trial in a, in a very specific way. Um, I'm a big fan of John le Carre and his thrillers. Uh, I guess also the slap um, because this, in some ways, the book is a study of class and prejudice and ambition which the slap was in completely different ways and of course the slap was based you know Christos Tsoukas's book was um, based on an incident the slap uh, my book eight lives is based on an incident being the death of a golden boy what about any books that sort of uh, have you read anything else similarly set within the sort of medical realm uh, written for a popular audience, or is that sort of like a rare setting to encounter? Uh, it is rare, uh, but it's been done before. Um, for example, Michael Crichton in the Andromeda Strain, uh, that that had a medical underpinning. I think hopefully one of the advantages, one of the attractions of the book is its its rarity, that it's taking readers to that world that they rarely get the opportunity to visit. Absolutely. Well, that's what I was thinking when reading it. I was like, it, it felt like a really unique setting. Mm-hmm. And, um, and like you said before, uh, it balances that sort of narrative drive along with the fascination of all this immunology stuff really beautifully. It's so. lovely to hear your enthusiasm for it, Angus. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially, especially on publication, on publication day. day. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I did absolutely love the book mm. and um, I hope lots of people read it because it's absolutely fabulous. Thank you so much for coming past to it's chat It's been my it. pleasure, Angus. Thank you. Thank you, Susan. Mm.
Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Good Reading Podcast. Eight Lives by Susan Hurley is published by Affirm Press. It's available now at all good bookshops, including Good Reading's online store at goodreadingmagazine.com.au.